Letter seventy one of Letters from Egypt by Lady Lucy Duff Gordon. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. To Mrs. Austin, Tuesday, seven Ramadan. Dearest Mutter, I have just received your letter of Christmas Day, and am glad to answer it with a really amended report of myself. I had a very slight return a week ago, but for the last five or six days the daily flushing and fever has also ceased. I sent for one of the Arab doctors of the Azizia steamer to see Omar, and myself also, and he was very attentive, and took a note of medicines to send me from Cairo by a confrère, and when I offered a fee he said, God forbid, it is only our duty to do anything in the world for you. Likewise a very nice Dr. Ingram saw some of my worst cases for me, and gave me good advice and help, but I want better books. Kestevin is very useful, as far as it goes, but I want something more asferlich and scientific. Ramadan is a great trouble to me, though Sheikh Yusuf tells the people not to fast, if I forbid it. But many are ill from having begun it, and one fine old man of about fifty-five died of apoplexy on the fourth night. My Christian patient is obstinate, and fasts in spite of me, and will, I think, seal his fate. He was so much better after the blistering and Dr. Ingram's mixture." I wish you could have seen a lad of eighteen or so, who came here to-day for medicine. I think I never saw such sweet, frank, engaging manners, or ever heard any one express himself better, quite une nature distinguée, not the least handsome, but the most charming countenance and way of speaking. My good friend the Maon spent the evening with me, and told me all the story of his marriage, though quite unfit to meet the virtuous eyes of British propriety, as I read the other day in some paper apropos of I forget what, it will give you an idea of the feelings of a Muslim honnête homme, which Salim is through and through. He knew his wife before he married her, she being twenty-five or twenty-six, and he a boy. She fell in love with him, and at seventeen he married her, and they have had ten children, all alive but two, and a splendid race they are. He told me how she courted him with glasses of sherbet and trays of sweetmeats, and how her mother proposed the marriage, and how she hesitated on account of the difference of age, but, of course, at last consented, all with the naivest vanity in his own youthful attractions, and great extolling of her personal charms, and of her many virtues. When he was sent up here she would not or could not leave her children. On the Sit's arrival his slave-girl was arrogant, and refused to kiss her hand, and spoke saucily of her age, whereupon Salim gave her in marriage to a black man, and pays for her support, as long as she likes to suckle the child he, Salim, had by her, which child will in due time return to his house. Curs, the fundamental idea in it all, in the mind of an upright man, is that if a man takes up with a woman at all, he must make himself responsible for her before the world, and above all for the fate of any child he may have by her, you see, the prophet of the Arabs did not contemplate ladies qui savant neiger so well in the troubled waters of life as we are now blessed with. I don't mean to say that many men are as scrupulous as my excellent friend Salim, either here or even in our own moral society. All this was told with the expressions quite incompatible with our manners, though not at all lest, and he expiated on his wife's personal charms in a very quaint way, the good lady is now hard upon sixty, and looks it fully, but he evidently is as fond of her as ever. As a curious trait of primitive manners, he told me of her piety and boundless hospitality, how when some friends came late one evening, unexpected, and there was only a bit of meat, she killed a sheep and cooked it for them with her own hands. 
and this is a Kyrene lady, and quite a lady, too, in manners and appearance. The day I dined there she was dressed in very ragged, old cotton clothes, but spotlessly clean, and she waited on me with a kind, motherly pleasure that quite took away the awkwardness I felt at sitting down while she stood. In a few days she and her husband are to dine with me, a thing which no Arab couple ever did before, I mean, dine out together, and the old lady was immensely amused at the idea. Omar will cook, and all male visitors will be sent to the kitchen. Now that I understand all is said to me, and a great deal of the general conversation, it is much more amusing. Salim Effendi jokes me a great deal about my blunders, especially my lack of politica, the Greek word for what we shall call flumery, and my saying, lazim, you must, or rather il faut, instead of humble entreaties. I told him to teach me better, but he laughed heartily and said, no, no, when you say lazim, it is lazim, and nobody wants the stick to force him to say hadir, ready, o sheik el arab, o amira. Fancy my surprise the other day, when, just as I was dictating letters to Sheikh Yusuf, letters of introduction for Ross's inspecting agent, with three or four other people here, in walked Miss North Pop, who I have not seen since she was a child. She and her father were going up the second cataract. She has done some sketches which, though rather unskilful, were absolutely true in color and effect, and are the very first I have seen that are so. I shall see something of them on their return. She seemed very pleasant. Mr. North looked rather horrified at the turbaned society in which he found himself. I suppose it did look odd to English eyes. We have had three days of the south wind, which the Saturday Review says I am not to call Samum, and I was poorly, and kept in bed two days with a cold. Apropos, I will give you the Luxor contribution towards the further confusion of the Samum, or Simum, controversy. I told Sheikh Yusuf that an English newspaper, written by particularly clever people, said that I was wrong to call the bad wind here Samum. It was in an article on Palgrave's book, I think. Sheikh Yusuf said, True, O lady, no doubt those learned gentlemen, politely saluting them with his hand, thought one such as thou shouldest written classical Arabic, Arabi Fasiyi, and have called it Al-Dabur. Nevertheless, it is proper to write it Samum, not, as some do, Simum, which is the plural of Sim, poison. I shook my head, and said, I did not recollect Al-Dabur. Then my Rais, sitting at the door, offered his suggestion. Probably the English, who, it is well known, are a nation of sailors, use the name given to the land wind by El Baria, the boatman, and call it El Marisha. But, said I, the clever gentlemen say that I am wrong altogether, and never can have seen a real Samum, for that would have killed me in ten minutes. Hereupon Sheikh Mohammed El Ababda, who is not nearly so polished as his brother Hassan, burst into a regular Bedouin roar of laughter, and said, Ya! Yeah, do the Ganassil Europeans take thee for a rat, O lady? Who ever heard of El Beni Adam, the children of Adam, dying of the wind? Men die of thirst quicker when the Samum blows, and they have no water. But no one ever died of the wind alone, except the rats. They do. I give you the opinion of three representative men, scholar, sailor, and Bedouin, if that helps you to a solution of the controversy. We have just had a scene, rather startling to notions about fatalism, etc., Owing to the importation of a good deal of cattle from the Sudan, there is an expectation of the prevalence of smallpox, and the village barbers are busy vaccinating in all directions, to prevent the infection brought either by the cattle or, more likely, by their drivers. 
Now my maid had told me she had never been vaccinated, and I sent for Haji Mahmood to cut my hair and vaccinate her. To my utter amazement the girl, who had never shown any religious bigotry and does not fast or make any demonstrations, refused peremptorily. It appears that the priests and sisters appointed by the enlightened administration of Prussia instill into their pupils and penitents that vaccination is a tempting of God. Oh, oui, she said, je sais bien que chez nous mes parents pouvant recouvrir un process verbal, mais il vaut mieux cela que d'aller contre la volonté de Dieu. Si Dieu le veut, l'aurait la petite verole, et s'il ne veut pas, je ne l'aurai pas. I scolded her pretty sharply, and said it was not only stupid, but selfish. But what can one do, as Haji Mahmud said, with a pitying shake of his head, these Christians are so ignorant. He blushed and apologized to me, and said, it is not their fault, all this want of sense is from the priests who talk folly to them for money, and to keep them afraid before themselves. Poor things, they don't know the word of God. Help thyself, O my servant, and I will help thee. This is the second contest I have had on this subject. Last year it was with a copt, who was an Allah Karim, and so on, about his baby, with his child of four dying of smallpox. Oh, man, said Sheikh Yusuf, if the wall against which I am now sitting were to shake above my head, should I fold my feet under me and say, Allah Karim, or should I use the legs God has given me to escape from it? I had a visit the other day from a lady who, as I was informed, had been a harlot in Siout. She has repented and married a converted copt. They are a droll pair of penitents, so very smart in their dress and manner. But no one se scandalise at their antecedents, neither is it proper to repent in sackcloth and ashes, or to confess sins except to God alone. You are not to indulge in telling them to others, it is an offence. Repent inwardly, and be ashamed to show it before the people. Ask pardon of God only. A little of this would do no harm in Europe, methinks. Here is a pretty story for you from Hadath and Nabi, sayings of the Prophet. Two prophets were sitting together, and discoursing of prayer, and the difficulty of fixing the attention entirely on the act. One said to the other, not even for the duration of two rekkas, prayers ending with the prostration, and Allah Akbar, can a man fix his mind on God alone. The other said, Nay, but I can do it. Say then, two rekkas, replied the elder of the two, I will give thee my cloak. Now he wore two cloaks, a new, handsome red one, and an old, shabby blue one. The younger prophet rose, raised his hands to his head, and said, Allah Akbar, and bent to the ground for his first rekka. As he rose again, he thought, Will he give me the red cloak or the blue, I wonder? It is very stupid of me not to write down all the pretty stories I hear, but this one is a capital specimen of Arab wit. Some day I must bring over Omar with me, inshallah, to England, and he will tell you stories like Shahrazad herself. A jolly Nubian, Alim, told me the other night how in his village no man ever eats meat, except on Biram day, but one night a woman had a piece of meat given her by a traveller. She put it in the oven and went out. During her absence her husband came in and smelt it, and as it was just the time of the Eshe, first prayers, one hour after sunset, he ran up to the hill outside the village, and began to chant forth the Tekbir with all his might. Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, etc., etc., till the people ran to see what was the matter. Why, to-day is Biram, says he. Where is thy witness, old man? The meat in the oven, the meat in the oven. 
End of letter 71. Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox files are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org.